politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, forgotten and scorned taxpayers and independent conservatives yearning to be free to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at Blaze Media. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Thursday, October 15th, middle of the month here. As we power through just less than three weeks to the election, tomorrow, a programming note, tomorrow, Friday's show, we hope to have the CEO and founder of Trafalgar Polls on the show. Um, He is the one who got 2016 correctly. He predicted Trump would win Pennsylvania and Michigan, as well as other things, and he that he got right in 2018. And he is bucking the trend, and I think he does still show Trump down, but within striking range that would still kind of track with what he did in 2016. So for people like me that are feeling very skeptical and very concerned about where this is headed, um, that might be something to brighten up your day. And you know, you'll see why he's more optimistic about Trump's chances. So it's going to be a little bit of a change of pace. For today, we hope if we can get the Rensselaer County Executive Stephen McLaughlin on the show again um, from Rensselaer County, New York, to talk about Cuomo and his sinful behavior. Uh, He is dealing with an emergency now, but I'll see if I can get him on the line. But we, we talked about yesterday the sinful behavior of the cultists. Fauci, as as Dr. Scott Atlas basically directly called him a sinner and said he'll be held accountable for one day for what he did. And I want to give you a broad scientific data-driven perspective as to why that's true. Why it's akin to me driving a busload of civilians on a highway and saying, you know what? I am so scared of driving into the left guardrail that I think I'm just going to veer the wheel all the way to the right and hit an oncoming car or a car next to me or the right guardrail and kill everyone. Because by golly, I mean, I got to avoid that left guardrail. I mean, did did you see what that left guardrail looks, looks like? Their lack of perspective of the call of, of the magnitude of the human toll of, of, of COVID much exaggerated their lack of perspective of our ability to stop it and how cyclical and natural this is that it does what it does. And of course, how much damage they cause that unlike the coronavirus death toll, which they exaggerate, but certainly is there is, you know, which is um, unavoidable. It's from God. The man-made toll is so unavoidable. So I want to just present that for you. Remember we talked about with Kyle Lamb about two weeks ago. I mentioned this a couple times. And I'm working on a comprehensive article on how the flu has simply disappeared because of COVID. I mean, it is an astounding scientific and phenomenon and data analysis And it's really great news that everyone should be aware of and that we should be celebrating. There is literally a seesaw correlation, meaning an inverse relationship, between COVID and the flu. Where and when you have COVID, you do not have the flu. It boxes it out. It's unbelievable. 
We've seen this at the tail end of our flu season in the Northern Hemisphere. We saw it pretty much in the entirety of the flu season in the Southern Hemisphere, which was transpiring or would have transpired when COVID was already circulating. Late spring, summer is when they get their flu season. It literally disappeared. WHO, CDC has recognized this. You look at the data in Australia, South Africa, South America, literally you're talking about 95 to 98% reductions. We're not saying, oh, it's kind of a weak flu season, 10% fewer deaths. We're talking about, forget about deaths. I don't know if there's been any, like 95 to 98% reduction in cases of the flu. It literally boxes it out. So there's a couple of interesting tidbits on that that made me revisit this. If you notice now, we're getting to the point where we're getting close to the flu starting again for the next season, 2021, in the Northern Hemisphere again. And our buddy, Phil Kirpin, put out this data, CDC surveillance data, for week 40. Now, it's still light because the flu season, I guess, really doesn't begin in earnest till like maybe two weeks from now. But, you know, there's some historical record data uh, from, you know, there are some cases that circulate all year and certainly in areas where it gets colder in April and uh, October. This is utterly astounding. You look at the clinical labs. Again, it's light. The numbers are light because it's not yet in season. Last year, there were 447 confirmed cases in clinical labs. This year, 17. Okay, folks? 447 to 17. (laughs) You know what that is? I mean, that that's peanuts. Public health labs, by this time last year, they had 38. This year, they have one. It's early, but we're starting to see that phenomenon. We're seeing that. It's unbelievable. There's a lot to say on this. There's a lot of data on this. I want to get to it later. I'm going to have an article out, maybe... We'll delve into it more next week, have a more in-depth analysis with Kyle. The data is is cool. It's it's phenomenal. Phen- phenomenal. It's it's crazy. You literally see it. You for example, like just like remember we talked about how you know the flu season was not weak. It was regular. December, you know, November, December, January, February, late February, early March, it died. Typically it starts to wane and then you know, it kind of ends in late April completely. The number of hospitalizations per capita on the flu that we had on March 7th was less than what we typically have on April 30th. It died. It just died. And as Kyle noted, and he has the data to show this, it wasn't because of a lack of testing. We actually tested more than ever. And they were just negative. The reason we were testing more than ever in March is because that was that transition where COVID was circulating widely, but we didn't yet have universal testing available. So one of the ways they would diagnose it is by ruling out the flu. So they were actually liberally testing the flu, and it was negative. They were not finding it. 
because COVID was predominating and it boxes it out. This is a known phenomenon. Um, recent uh, September paper in The Lancet published by immunobiologists at Yale noted this phenomenon and they say it has implications for what we're talking about today. In H1N1 in 2009 in the European countries, there were several European countries where it was the opposite. Rhinoviruses that circulate in those countries at that, that time short-circuited H1N1. So here it's, it's, it's COVID short-circuiting the flu. You find in the Southern Hemisphere was interesting too. The flu started off in March in Chile. Okay? Started off in March. Not really yet into their flu season. That's kind of our October. Really doesn't start till April, but it starts. You see the numbers going up, going up. And then you come to April, it dies. Like typically it goes up in a straight line because that's their like November and then May is like our December and, and January is like their, their June, right? And it goes up and up. It died. And, and it's like clockwork because there it was a month later. Their April was like our March. COVID didn't come to South America, if you remember, till later. It didn't really get deadly until May, June, but it was circulating earlier. But later than, than in the U.S., so it short-circuited the flu later. It, it's like clockwork. And then in Cambodia, it's one of the only countries in the Southern Hemisphere where they had a flu outbreak. They barely had COVID. They just... Barely had it. It's like a seesaw. The point I want to make on this, there's a number of points to make. Fascinating points. But what is so important is not only does this debunk this twindemic notion that you're going to have a bad flu on top of a bad COVID and this worst thing, but it demonstrates, it puts in perspective the exaggerated human toll of COVID as compared to the human toll of the reaction to it. And that is this, as I've noted before, what, what we've noticed, noticed is that COVID mainly kills people who are going to die within a three to five year window, but most often really within the year of other things. It could be heart and Alzheimer's and, and, and stroke, but, but very often other pneumonias and respiratory viruses, the same pool of people. So while COVID in most places is going to kill more people than a typical seasonal flu, but not that much more than a pandemic flu. In most places, at least. You have to look at the net because you're gaining all these. Imagine an entire 2020 flu. We had the, we had only had 22,000 deaths in the U.S. And now and even those were because we had the first half. The second half was like zero. What if this year we have close to zero flu deaths? Plus disruption from the flu of people that don't die in hospitalizations. We're actually going to gain. Like anything in life, you have to look at the net. They're trying to say we have all this COVID on top of the typical deaths we have. What a great tragedy. And that's what it was in the Spanish flu when the median age of death was 28, when they clearly were not dying from typical flus. So those were all extra deaths. But you have to factor in, what if I tell you, A, it boxes out the flu as long as it circulates, and B, because COVID circulated and killed maybe some extra people, but mainly the people that die from flus, even after COVID is over, but because it cleaned out a three-year batch of people, in 2021, 2022, and 2023, we have weaker flu seasons. 
I don't know if it's going to go that far, but let's just say, or not necessarily weaker flu seasons, let's say we have just as many cases, but we have fewer deaths because the people that are vulnerable to die already died. This is the dry tinder theory we've been talking about, that in a lot of places where they've had weaker flu seasons, they have more deaths because they're just there's a backlog of people that it's their time to go and they typically go they haven't gone and 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 vice versa if they had stronger flu seasons like in Greece they didn't have many covid deaths let me put a finer point on this you can't look at deaths in a year you have to look at a 2 to 3 year window and then a 5 year window also and look at it in totality that's how life works with everything. And there are sometimes extraordinary events that even when you look at it in that context, you see a big blip. Wow, there are a lot of people that really died young, died early, catastrophically, a lot of extra, extra deaths. That's 1918. What you're seeing today is not that. Kyle Lamb, again, one of the folks at Rational Ground, he... he um showed this to me today. He tracked all the excess deaths, the all-cause mortality deaths since 1999. And he found something phenomenal that basically, basically every um, odd year, we have higher number of deaths. And every even year, we have lower number of deaths. So it's like, let's say the death rate is like, you know, 99, 2001, 2003, 2005, like 1.5, 1.6%, 1.3%. And then the even years, it's like a half a percent, 0.6. It's, it's remarkable. It's like that all the time because death is cyclical. I mean, it's, you know, and it's kind of like an every other year thing is, is more than others. Some of it might have to do with the flu season or it's just like the way it's almost just an accounting it's kind of like you have the federal deficit. You have a couple months, you had extra revenue, you know, at the end of the fiscal year this year. So it will come out the beginning of next fiscal year. The debt debt will be greater because you had more revenue then, less revenue now. You have to, everything in life is the law of averages. Now, again, if you have a bunch of 28-year-olds dying, so then you're going to see that. But it, but but what, what we're saying with the median death age at 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 the life expectancy level, where a lot of the deaths are people in their 80s, we're not just saying, oh, they're old, uh, who cares? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, for the most part, what you will find when this is all, when all the dust settles, is that pretty much was God's providence. That was their time to die, albeit this year, God used COVID-19 rather than other things or other respiratory viruses or heart. But pretty much it was their, their time to die. That For the most part, with a certain percentage of exceptions, but the overwhelming majority, they're not people who are 75 who are slated to live to 90 that, that wound up dying. And you're going to see that in the data. It's mainly people that were meant to die around them within a few months, some a little bit more tragically within a year or two, but not more than that. And what Kyle found was that this, this odd even pattern goes all the way up to 2018 2019 and then changes 2018 was an even year we had about 1.3 or so you had the pandemic you had the um january which was really pretty bad worse than covid in many states that got covid not so bad 
And no one, of course, noticed about, noticed anything because, again, for the most part, that's when it was their time to die, which is why we didn't make a big deal out of it. And you go to 2019, last year. Do you know that the all-cause deaths was 0.4%? So, like, we talked about the weak flu season, but it's more than that. It seems like, and I have to peel through the data where this is coming from, if it's coming from heart Alzheimer's, stroke, renal, whatever. All-cause deaths, just like in Sweden, the U.S. everyone's like, U.S. has a lot of COVID deaths. Now, some of them are made up and BS and overblown, but even among the ones that are real, you always hear on the news, we have a lot of death this year. There's, there's an epidemic, there's bad stuff going on. But you're never going to hear on the news, do-do-do-do, 2019, miraculous, people lived longer. People that typically die didn't die. They survived the year. You don't hear that. That doesn't dampen what happened this year, but that does put a perspective of it's very different if you have an average baseline every year and then you have a terrible catastrophic year and then you go back to having average years. But if you have several years before and after of low death, but in the middle sandwiched in higher death one year. So, I mean, you got to really look at that after at, at a three to five year window, are you gonna how many excess deaths are you gonna even come out with? Not that many. That's a very important perspective that a mature society would understand. It's cyclical, it's natural, it's mechanical. You see it in the numbers. It's nothing that any human non-pharmaceutical mitigation efforts could could work on. You see this virus work like clockwork in the seesaw effect with the flu. It's natural. It's cyclical. It's, it's geographical. It does what it does. And thank God there's a lot of mercy mixed in with that. Imagine if we had you know 60,000 deaths from the flu and then built on top of that COVID. But we're not having that because it kills the same people. And then more than that, while it's actually circulating, it actually boxes out the flu from even circulating. So this twindemic thing is a lie, but moreover, the perspective of, uh, of how many excess deaths we're really having is being missed. This is what the liberals do on everything. They try to freeze a snapshot and distort something. They do it with the weather all the time. Right now is October. They would have you believe that every day, let's say you li- live where I do in Maryland, kind of, you know, middle of the road, moderate. Not too hot like the South, but not too cold like the North. So October is not going to be, you know, like, like in the South, it's like it's hot. And in the, in the North, it could be freezing. Like, okay, it's going to be perfect every day, 60 degree high, 43 degree low. That might be the average, but you'll have a number of days where it could get even to 80 degrees. And then you'll have another number of days that are kind of windy and cold, almost like the winter. But they'll have you believe that like every day needs to be that way. It doesn't work that way. So they'll focus on, oh my God, look at this global warming. I mean, it's like the summer here. The trees are falling from the leaves. The leaves are falling from the trees. But uh, hey, uh, what are we going to do here? It's terrible. Global warming. Yeah, but they missed all the days that it was cold and it averages out. They did this with the hurricanes. Oh my God, look at all the hurricanes we're having this year. But they predicted, I remember when I was, you know, in the 90s, they were talking about the coming of endless hurricanes 
with the exception of the year of Katrina and Rita in 2005, we had like a 15 year drought, almost to the point that if you go back and Google it, you'll find like five years ago, they were talking about like global warming causing a lack of hurricanes. I mean, they do this with everything. But that's life. Natural phenomenon like viruses circulating and weather events. They're cyclical. The jet stream is cyclical. When it troughs in one area, it it bumps up in another area. So it's usually where it's like hotter in the in the northeast. It dips lower in the south and in the west, like even farther south. Like you'll have times where you know northern Arizona, northern Texas are cooler than um, you know Pennsylvania, and vice versa. You'll have times where then then and, and usually it, it will switch a week later the jet stream will move over and then you know areas in in south carolina are colder than you know colorado and wyoming you know it it, it does that but it averages out it's mechanical it's beautiful it's god's wonders it's god's world you can't change that it does what it does the data is remarkable the correlation that that Kyle Lamb has created, and 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 again, CDC and and WHO are admitting that they're saying it's because of our mitigation efforts, which is nonsense. Because as we pro- proved, first of all, why would it work for the flu but not for COVID? Number two, that's an admission that it's not working for COVID, <laughs> which is kind of funny because their whole point is that it does. And number three is the flu died before the lockdowns and the mass. The flu died in early March. The mitigations didn't start till late March. And then even according to them, they, it would take two weeks for, you know, because you would already have the people who got the flu from before when you weren't social distancing, right? It's like a two-week lag. I mean, everyone agrees to that, even if it would work. So you wouldn't see the effects until mid-April, which, of course, we didn't, you know, of course, it was much earlier. And this is everywhere around the globe. And again, even... Uh, places where they never had the masks and the lockdowns and whatever, they didn't have the flu because the virus was circulating. It's natural. It's a natural phenomenon. But you look at that perspective I just gave you. How it's natural, it does what it does, and thank God there's a lot of mercy in it. It's We're not going to see that many people with their lives cut significantly short, like in past you know, epidemics, you look at the epidemic that they're going to create of the panic fear that they have and the lockdowns, the canceling of screenings, of so-called elective procedures that they did. And then also just the panic and fear that has driven people away. Because if you don't give the perspective I just gave you, which is a perspective so few people realize. You think this is like the Spanish flu. Heck, I mean, I'm going to die imminently, so I'm not going to worry about cancer or heart now. Wall Street Journal. COVID-19 outbreak led to dangerous delay in cancer diagnosis. Now, the headline is wrong. It's the reaction. It's not the COVID-19. 
A decline in mammograms and other screening procedures after the, the pandemic struck is leading to missed and delayed cancer diagnosis, according to data from insurance claims, lab orders, Medicare billings, and oncology practice records, an emerging pattern that is alarming oncologists. Hundreds of thousands of cancer screenings were deferred after worries about COVID-19 shutdown, much of the U.S. healthcare systems during the spring. Remember, it wasn't the oncologists that couldn't handle it. Oncologists aren't seeing COVID patients, right? So there's no reason they couldn't have dealt with it. It was the panic and the shutdown. There's really almost no way that doesn't turn into increased mortality. With the full effects likely to play out over a decade, said Norman Ned Sharpless, director of National Cancer Institute. Missed screenings and other pandemic-related impacts on care could result in about 10,000 additional deaths from breast and colon cancer alone over the next 10 years. And this is a detailed report. You could see it yourself in Wall Street Journal. Very detailed, very well done. It's literally the inverse of this. Here, the more you look at it over the long term, the more you'll see there aren't really excess deaths. Here, the more you look in the long term, the more you'll see the excess deaths. We swapped out an effort on an ability that we have to mitigate for something that we don't have the ability to mitigate, and it doesn't really cause long-term excess deaths. Cancer screenings, I mean, look, all those people in their 40s and 50s, those women that get breast cancer, you know, we're not just talking about those in their 80s, that that too, but those in their 40s and 50s, very treatable. It's one of the things that God has blessed us with. We've really driven down the death rate. The mammograms um, have really worked. My mother delayed it. You know, I know a lot of people. But um, you take a percentage of that. I mean, dude, when you talk about stage three versus stage four, that's a world of a difference. That is a world of a difference. A lot of people get lucky. It's fine. You know, nothing happened. But if you delay hundreds of thousands of them, there will be there's always a window, six month window. And again, this is this is continuing. I mean, if we don't stop this, they, they, they want to continue this panic for years. They're, they're saying years, two, three years, which means indefinitely. Could you imagine? And we're just talking about one form of cancer, mammograms. I mean, there's all sorts of medical care that's being delayed because of fear and panic. And disruptions that are needlessly being created. Those are absolute excess deaths, because those are things that medically we have achieved a certain degree of success that we have prevented those deaths. So they're, they're, they're baked into the baseline of, of, of no deaths. And now we're creating those excess deaths. This is the sinful behavior that I wanted to put a finer point on what we talked about yesterday. So speaking of sinful behavior, I wanted to get back to what we talked about yesterday a little bit with New York State, New York City, Andrew Cuomo, Bill de Blasio. Nowhere is this more evident, this dichotomy that we are seeing, where they are swapping out our ability to mitigate basic you know, cancer and, and heart deaths with the screenings and the healthcare that we already have in place in return for these bogus, bizarre, tyrannical policies designed to stop something that there's no proof that you can stop, and indeed the proof so far is that you cannot stop it, 
and that the excess deaths that they are going to create, aside from the destruction of liberty, of our democracy, of the economy, are demonstrably greater than the cost of the virus itself. So with us today to discuss the latest going on with Cuomo is Stephen McLaughlin, the Rensselaer County Executive. We had him on uh, at the end of the summer. He is in Cuomo's backyard right outside of Albany across the river. He has pushed back on a county level against his uh, edicts. Uh, Stephen previously served in the state legislature. Uh, He was also a commercial pilot, a businessman, full array of private and public sector experience. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you were a real hit last time, an inspiration for many that are just, it it almost seems like the more data we produce, the more science we produce, it just doesn't matter. They're basically like, talk to the hand. I don't care. We're scared. This is what we're doing. Um, We played the audio from Cuomo yesterday in a private conversation with Jewish community leaders where he basically admitted that this is a hatchet. It's not designed uh, with any sense of efficacy. It's all to just allay fears. It's all political. What is going on with Cuomo where he's suddenly looking to reinstate these lockdown policies? Yeah, well, I am so glad that you did play that yesterday. That recording is really important and really reveals it pulls back the curtain a little bit uh, or kind of fully pulls back the curtain on what a lot of us have known. And I've said for months and months and months, this is this is about power and control. This is not about a virus anymore. It's about power, power and control. And Andrew Cuomo, who tends to have these megalomaniac dictatorial tendencies to begin with, this plays right into his hands. And then you had the New York State Legislature very complicit in this in handing over the reins of power. They handed over that third branch of government to Andrew Cuomo and have never rescinded his emergency power. So it plays right into his hands where he can act like a dictator and get away with it. It is truly scary stuff, and, when, and, and he sort of revealed himself in that, in that recording. And as you talked about, you know, missed cancers, missed heart disease, missed screenings, we're seeing that in a very real way here on the ground at the county level, certainly Rensselaer County, but every other county as well. Uh, we, you know, for example, more overdose deaths this year than COVID deaths, and it's wow. not even close. It, not it's, even you know, close. we have, you know, close to 60 overdose deaths. I think I had 34 the entire, uh, in 2019. I'm, I'm in around 60 right now, and I have 43 COVID deaths. So as this singular focus on COVID has been this way for now seven months, we are taking our eye off of so many other issues, and those issues are far greater in the long run and even in the short run than COVID. Yeah, I mean, this is what is crazy. But what do you think is going on with the timing, the war on these Jewish communities, talks of zip codes and maps and things like that? And is some of this the fact that Cuomo had kind of a reverse narrative, like he stole our narrative for his side so he was saying look we got herd immunity this is awesome we did it right when in fact he actually had the worst deaths per capita in the city because of his policies and the nursing home policies um and you know but he was being praised for it 
and then he had his book coming out. But then the numbers kind of crept up. You know, again, not a big deal. The hospitals aren't overrun. But on, on that superficial level that they themselves has set as the standard, and then he's going crazy over it. Or is there something more going on with him now? It's tough. It's tough to pin it down because Andrew Cuomo creates his own reality on a moment to moment basis. So it's actually really hard for even you or me who pay attention to this stuff nonstop. It's really difficult to keep up with the latest misdirection from Andrew Cuomo. He, you know, went from blaming everybody under the sun about nursing homes uh, to saying, well, it didn't happen. I mean, he literally just completely flipped the narrative and said, no, it never happened. We never we never forced nursing homes to take positive COVID patients. Yes, he did. It's clear as day that he did it. But he changes the narrative, changes the direction. And on the on the whole, you know, it is chilling to me, the historic um, historic ties to what he's doing now to the Jewish community. Anybody not paying attention to that does not know their history and does not know the very, very we've seen the horror of this and uh it's it's truly frightening to see how he's doing this of course he doesn't have the guts to say hey these are orthodox jewish communities no he just says these zip codes so but we all know what the reality is he's he's attacking religion and whether that's the catholic faith or the jewish faith or the muslim faith he is attacking religion at this point while meanwhile he says nothing about the mass gatherings in the street, the protests slash riots that occurred, those were all okay. He, in fact, he encouraged those. But God forbid you go to the synagogue or go to church. It's 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 just it's mind-boggling that he gets away with this stuff. And I do hope and pray, and I think anybody listening to this this broadcast is paying attention, but so many are not. So that's the, that's the question. I think a lot of people are turning the corner and realizing that, wait a minute, there's something funny here. The goalposts have been moved. Uh, th- this was all to just ensure hospitals aren't overrun. And we're now making this this new normal. You got Bill Gates and all these guys out there saying, we need a second generation vaccine. It's going to be years. You, you have to do this forever. And they know there's something up, but people don't know what to do. And um, you talk about the chilling history. Obviously, anyone who understands the Nazis in the 1930s, they didn't start out with the Jews. They started out with public health. And they used those terms, and they they had forced sterilization of just the general population. Eventually, they moved on to the Jews. um, and, And it was always, you're a threat to others. Your existence is a threat. Your religious practice is a threat. And... I spoke to a rabbi from Brooklyn, and listen to this. This is real powerful, and I don't think I told my audience this. So he uh, leads a synagogue that was started in the, well, I guess it was 1938 by German refugees, literally came right from Kristallnacht. And you think, all right, you come to America, the land of the free, and you know they opened up one of these kind of store shop type of places in the crowded area in Brooklyn, and, you know, they, they were able to thrive for, for a number of years. Obviously, they're all, they're all dead and have moved on by now. But that started because of that. And here they are in the year 2020 in America when they're talking about, like, they have to have lookouts and, you know, sneak in and, you know, how they have to do their thing. And they have the health department officials, you know, roaming around, issuing citations 
And they're like, we just don't know what to do. Like nothing we're doing helps. Everyone's talk says, talk to the hand. The courts are like, screw you. The same courts that create rights for illegal aliens and allow the state to thwart federal immigration law. Suddenly they, they ignore the first amendment when Cuomo himself said it's not a scalpel, which that's a legal term of narrowly tailored. Um, and, and, you know, the, the least restrictive means to achieve a state interest. He was like, no, this is, this is not nuanced. This is a hatchet that's antithetical to case law, but the, you know, the courts are just messed up. They say, talk to the hand. They have, um, these preschools where they literally don't have any cases. I mean, the preschools, there's no problem. They don't get sick from it anyway. If they get it, they get less sick for them than from everything they else they get in a typical year. And you know what that does. I mean, it's a cascading effect. They're shut down now. They're going around closing their schools. So then people can't go to work. What, what, what do people do? I mean, politically, I mean, you've worked state politics, you're a County executive. Now, what do you do? Well, I, you know, I spoke yesterday at a rally up in Albany at the steps of the Capitol about opening up nursing homes to visitation, which is another huge issue. We have people dying of depression and decline and failure to thrive because Andrew Cuomo has shut down the nursing home. So, and that was a question that was brought up. What do we do? And there were a number of, of state legislators there. And the reality is the New York state legislature has completely failed. They have turned over the reins of power completely to Andrew Cuomo, who, as you remember, years ago said, I am the government. He means it. That's how he views himself. He views himself as a dictator. I know, and I wish I had the answer of this is what you do. I do know this. I do know that if you keep returning the same majority that sits in Albany to Albany, you are going to get the exact same result. In fact, as you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You keep sending these people that are willing to go along, whether they're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter, really. You need people that are outliers, people that are more rebellious, people that question. I say all the time on my Facebook Live, question everything. Question what I'm saying. Question what the federal government's saying and the state government. You've got to question this. And the frustration that people have is they're, they're, what Andrew Cuomo said, this is all about fear. Fear is an unbelievable way to control people. And when I look at this, it almost looks to me like, you know, the, the New World Order type stuff. I, you know, the, you can talk about that all day long. But this is they are trying for a real dynamic shift, which which really hinges on dismantling our freedoms, dismantling our economy, making people so fearful that they don't move and therefore become very compliant and then restructuring it in their image, which is clearly socialism slash communism. It is probably the the most pressing issue that any of us alive at this point, maybe some of the older folks that dealt with World War II, certainly that was obviously incredibly major as well. But um, this for us, for our generation, this is the challenge that we're going to face. Uh, and and we're, we're almost overrun. You know, you have schools that are indoctrination camps for kids. You have nitwit professors that are it couldn't make it in the real world, and they're indoctrinating our college students. And then those students go on into the into the levers of government and really do mean to dismantle this country. Think back to Barack Obama when he said, we are only a few short days away from fundamentally changing this country. He wasn't kidding. And they're not kidding about what their plans are. This is not this is not your old school Democrats, as we know. This is this is the far 
far left, and they do not mean anything but control and dominance of, of us as Americans. It truly is shocking because, you know, in the past, we've all been guilty of maybe engaging in hyperbole and say, oh, you know, it's going to be communism. It'll take everything over. But I mean, they're literally doing that now. And I'm even shocked. I mean, when I first heard this, I thought it was a threat. I didn't think he'd have the health department officials targeting Jews in particular. But there they go. I mean, they're out there. They are literally out there. They're shutting down. And like you said, you know, the schools are messed up. So the bulwark against this really are are churches and private schools. I mean, that's the thing. And that's what they're targeting. I think businesses, you know, he's a little bit more reluctant because then you're going to get the economic damage, but you shut down religious schools and religious institutions. I mean, that's a very soft target. And, um, you know, that, that's a threat to his power. But on the other hand, you know, you're not going to see the economic collateral damage from that. It's more principled. It's more spiritual. It's as to with freedoms. It's more abstract. And they feel they can get away with that. And that really scares me. And, and, and again, like the courts, everyone's so into the courts, how, oh, yeah, they need to get involved in every damn criminal and illegal alien. They're always there for them. But when you literally have. I mean, you know how we always like exaggerate all oh, our rights are violated, but, you know, it's kind of an exaggeration in America. We rarely really have our rights be violated. I mean, you literally have the most widespread and severe violations of natural life, liberty, property rights since the settlement of this continent. And not just since 1789, but since 1620. Uh, talk about the 1620 project. I mean, it's a project of freedom. And um, it was never this widespread. I, I, I cannot think of any example. I mean, I guess the only example you had of such uh, officious things and dangerous things was um, uh, Grant. Uh, uh, when he was general, he expelled Jews or issued an order to expel them from Nashville or Memphis. I'm sorry, Memphis, when he took over after Vicksburg. Um, and, and Lincoln, uh, you know, immediately, you know, countermanded that, obviously. I mean, this is literally the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's incredibly frightening. And it used to be that the far left, the progressives, however you want to phrase them, um, they would be incrementalists. They, they kind of chip away and chip away. Right now, they're trying to run the field. So it's not two yards in a cloud of dust. They're trying to break free into the open field and run and, and just get everything they want. And I just, part of me, you know, that's why I continue to fight the way I do, because I know how wrong this is. But then part of me does feel some of the same dismay that the public feels saying, what is going on here? Why aren't people waking up and taking to the streets and standing up saying, you're not going to do this? I mean, just look at the nursing homes again. You literally have people locked up inside nursing homes that are being denied the human compassion and human touch of their own families even though those families will test and can test negative for COVID, they're still not being allowed in. It's that, that is, it is unbelievable. You're talking about people at the end of their life. Now, we all agree. Our, in fact, our whole point is that you need to focus your, your efforts on people like that that are vulnerable. And indeed, they are vulnerable to COVID. But again, there's a limit. In other words, it's a risk, but it's not a hundred percent death rate among them. You know, it could be it could be five percent, could be pretty steep, um, but it's not a hundred percent. And like you said, you, we have the universal ability to test, and we're testing like animals in these freaking preschools and whatever for no good reason. Where we need it is there, 
because that's a 100% death rate. You take someone, especially if they already have dementia, but they're on the decline, they're atrophying. I, I've heard of cases, it's not just their kids, but even, even spouses are separated. I mean, that is a death sentence. That is... I, I, you know, you know, there's one thing you say. Look, two, three weeks, we're very scared. You go down, okay, you know, full, full lockdown, no visitors. But when we're on month seven of this, and there's no end in sight, um, what, what are you doing in Rensselaer County with this? Well, we, we've pushed back. You know, sadly, today we've had such a great run here with our county-run nursing home. Uh, we've had zero deaths because I defied his evil executive order, never took in a positive COVID transfer, and have maintained that. We've never done that. But we have had um, staff that have been COVID positive. And right now I'm dealing with a couple of cases at our at our Van Rensselaer Manor where we're going to try to get the folks through that as best we can. We'll get them out to the hospital. We'll get them all the treatment we can. And But so far, we've worked but it, it's worked out well but what we've done here is um we opened up visits when the weather was really good and warm we opened up socially distanced visits outside we certainly wanted people to be able to hug each other but we couldn't do that we didn't want to risk it um, because at that point they didn't even have the testing in place for families because andrew cuomo refused to come out with any rules so i said well we're gonna these folks have got to see their family members because you know, I hate to be blunt, but if you pass away from COVID or you pass away from depression, you're gone either way. Why are we pushing these people closer and closer to death by denying them their family? It's 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 unconscionable. And I don't think you would do this to a POW, really. I don't think you'd treat them the way these folks are being treated in isolation and can't have their human touch, you know, can't have their family. And by the way, Governor, if you're going to tell me how that the masks work, which is suspect to some extent. but Hey, you're wearing you know, a mask. Some, you're good to go. You're wearing a mask and you're, and you're socially distanced and you got tested. If you're doing all that, then why can't you go in and see your mom or dad? Isn't it funny home? how they say testing and masks and all their, you know, rituals and the magical six feet and everything is the key when they want to be tyrannical but it's never an avenue for freedom i mean we've always noticed that and that's why cdc will tell you if you are exposed to someone it's considered an exposure even if both of you were wearing masks you know suddenly that goes out the window when when the rubber meets the road um well, and, and, let, let me yeah. let me say this, Daniel. Just to, sorry to interrupt, but our health department, which is phenomenal here in Rensselaer County, we're kind of the model of how you do contact tracing. We've been doing it for decades with any kind of an outbreak. We don't even ask when we when we're contact tracing from somebody that's positive. We do not ask that contact. Were you wearing a mask? It's not relevant to us. If, if they were or they weren't, it doesn't matter. They're, they're a contact at that point. So our folks completely ignore. We're not saying don't wear them. We're not saying that. We're just saying as far as contact tracing, if you're a contact, it doesn't matter to us whether you're wearing a mask or not. So I think that's worked out well for us as well up here. What's the punchline here before I let you go, kind of state of affair, where things are? So Cuomo's saying, oh, boy, I mean, this is the falls coming, and we're going to get screwed, and if things are going up. What are you seeing on the ground where you are? Yeah, a slight uptick. I mean, we're probably sitting right now at about, I don't have today's numbers ahead of me, but they probably, they've gone up a little bit, you know, but again, kids are back in college. Kids are kids. They're going to socialize. Well, what about They're the hospitals? Hospitals are doing just great. We only have maybe four or five folks in the hospital right now. We have, thank God, we've not had a death in a month and a half. Wow. I can tell you though that 
there, there's somebody that I know personally that's in his 80s, has asbestos in his lungs, and got mm. COVID. Uh, and we don't even know how. He's not in a nursing home. He's, he rarely, you know, goes out. None of the family members except for his wife tested positive. Yes. You know, we think we're going to lose that gentleman. But again, 83 years old with asbestos in his lungs. That's a very tough and, and road. And like you just said, home. what are you going to do about it? I mean, I wish we could save everyone, but this is the big line. You know, I'm glad he brought that up. This drives me nuts. I want to make this point. And you, you basically said it. So everyone is talking about how, you know, these magical things, it's all the, the, the virus rises and falls based on, on human mitigation efforts, not on the clear natural cyclical things that the virus kind of does what it does. But if that were true, most of the deaths we're seeing are are still from beginning to end people like in their 80s, right? You know, we're seeing a lot of cases of young people. They barely get anything. It's like nothing asymptomatic or a cold or less for almost everyone I know who's young. It's, it's not even a flu, not at all. They're not even getting fever or much of anything. Um, but the deaths are all in their 80s. Presumably, given the fear that is instilled in even younger people and certainly them, you know, there's one thing you say, the nursing homes, March, April, it caught people by surprise. Maybe they were out. But by now, the last number of months, with all of the deaths in the 80s, by and large, these aren't people yupping it up at the bars, right? I, everyone I know, they pretty much don't even leave their home, which often isn't healthy because even if you want to stay away from people, you do want to at least go outside to get vitamin D. How the hell do they get it? But, but I, I mean, according to them. Yeah, it's a total mystery in, in some of these cases when they've had very little outside contact and, and they get it. And, you know, the one thing, here's something that caught my eye last week is, you know, the president recovered and the president's bombastic. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, he's feeling really good. By the way, Rensselaer County played a huge role in helping the president because Regeneron is right here in Rensselaer County where that cocktail is made. So we're real proud of that and proud of Regeneron. But um, what did the president say? He goes, you know, he, I think, sent more of the correct message than Andrew Cuomo. The president says, don't be afraid. Live your life. You got to, you know, in other words, a truly American type of response. Go live your life. And Andrew, what does Andrew Cuomo say? No, be afraid. Be very afraid. And then he comes out and says, this is all about fear. <laughs> what I say at the end of every Facebook live that I do is, listen, be careful, not fearful. That is not how you live your life. Be careful, yep. but don't be fearful. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. And, and you look at the dichotomy between the success of the non-pharmaceutical interventions versus the pharmaceutical stuff. That's science. We have always, thank God, God has really given us that ability over time that every time we're thrown with you know a loop with something, a disease, a virus, uh, a health concern, we, we get better at treating it. We get better at fortifying the body. Vitamin D, vitamin C, that th th these are real things. The immune system is real things. And then the treatments, like you just said, out of your own county, these treatments are getting better. And that's why, in addition to the virus seeming to not really be as bad as before in terms of its death rate, um, the, the treatments clearly are helping that the ones that kind of get it somewhat bad uh, really wards off some of what we saw in New York City and some other places in March and April. But... This notion that you could avoid the virus by doing this type of stuff and just kind of play peekaboo with it indefinitely, and then somehow it just goes away. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I don't even know how to articulate their position. They're not exactly saying what it is. I, I guess until you have a vaccine. But even that now, they're saying 
that it's not really going to work for immunocompromised, which is the whole enchilada. That's the whole point for obese people. Uh, CNBC had an article on that. They're saying it's going to take years, multiple generations of this, multiple boosters. I mean, you th- th- that's not an answer. I mean, so so the president is saying, look, don't fear it. Most people don't get a bed. You're going to have to assume you're going to get it at some point. So it's it's not an option to think you can't get it. And then, you know, even the people that land in the hospitals, which is increasingly a much lower ratio, they seem to be doing a lot better with the exception of people that, you know, you didn't hear the first half of the show, but that are essentially we, we, we see in the excess death data. It was essentially their time. So, you know, rather than dying of the flu, they died of covid or rather than dying of renal or stroke or heart, they died from this. But it was ultimately their time, and you're not going to stop death. Um, is that basically what you're seeing on the ground with the hospitals in, in Rensselaer County? Yeah, I mean, you just summed that up so perfectly that, you know, it's it's that's exactly what we're seeing is that every doctor I've spoken to for months and months and months has said, you got to open, you're killing more people by shutting down than by opening. And that's now, now the CDC and the WHO is finally catching up to what every doctor that I've spoken to has told me. And also every doctor I've spoken to, including the head of Albany Med, who's a phenomenal guy, said, look, you know, the community spread is just not happening right now. It's families, it's some healthcare workers, the community spread is not happening. Open up your doors. And the other doctors I've spoken to have said, look, Steve, every person that died, God bless them, they were going to pass away within a year or so anyway of something else. And when you look at the, you know, some of these death certificates, we saw that I think it was out of Wisconsin where, you know, nine different pre-existing conditions, but they call it covid they didn't talk about the heart disease or the, or the COPD or the emphysema or anything else. Oh, no, no, it's COVID. I mean, it's just it's gotten ridiculous. And I think at the beginning when you talked about where are we going to be at the end of this year as far as national death, local death, county death, state death, I don't think it's going to be much different than it's been for the past year over year over I'm year. I'm giving you an assignment, Steve. I'm giving you an assignment for your county. I want you to – and we'll have you back. I want you to watch The Next Few Weeks Are Critical head into November and December. Is it even possible to have COVID and the flu at the same time? Because the answer until now is no. In the Southern Hemisphere, it was gone. I'm not talking about a 10% reduction. I'm talking about a 98% reduction. In in our country, it died in late February, early March. It died. We had lower levels of flu, and we were testing like animals because – we didn't have COVID tests universally then, but but it was circulating and we knew it. So we did tons of flu testing as a way of ruling things out. And we had le- fewer hospitalizations of the flu in the first week of March than we typically have in every other year in the last week of April. It died. And so far, the first week of data from week number 40, according to CDC surveillance in, in October, typically in a typical year, that week, we had about 470 cases of the flu. We had 17. Yeah. So watch that. Let's look on net the burden of the hospitals. What are they actually going to see? Because I just, I'll leave you with this thought, Steve. I just uh, had my buddy Kyle Lamb, a brilliant statistician who, who crunched a lot of this data for me. And I'm going to have an article out I'll send to you tomorrow on this. Basically, think about this. It's one thing in March and April. Clearly, it was worse than the flu. It was a bad pandemic flu. And certainly, you would 
rather have a seasonal flu, but it's important to recognize that it's net. It's not on top of it. So you are losing the typical deaths you get from the flu. But what what the virus is now being a case demic is somewhat of an ancillary blessing in disguise. Think about this. You're getting the best of both. Because of the microbiological reasons of this um, circulation, the, it's a predominance theory I talked about, where if you have a respiratory virus predominating, it boxes out another virus. So we're actually getting through the college kids, through you know everyone else on the cheap, a virus that for them is less than the flu, that's going to now box out the flu. You know, that is something I want you to watch in your county with the hospitalizations compare year over year by week, week 43, week 45. I'd love to see what you guys get. Yeah, we'll be on that for sure. We'll, we'll have my uh, health folks start tracking that right now. Good stuff as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Listen, Dan, thank you for what you're doing out there because we need those voices. The people have got to hear the truth. And I really appreciate what you're doing for all of us. Thank you. There you go. Science and prudence, not fear and panic and and tyranny. Folks, we are out of time till tomorrow. God bless y'all. And thank you for listening. 